When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Is this now Liverpool's Toulouse? Hello and welcome to episode 7 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy. And in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what has been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. I'm going with my tried and tested two up top this week and I can call on a full-strength lineup, which means first up and leading the line is Cole. Cole, I hope you're all refreshed from the international break. Yeah, really good, Dan. Enjoyed the international break. But to be honest, nothing beats Premier League football and getting back to the nitty-gritty. So uh, was, was glad this weekend came around. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, football's great in any sort of form, but, you know, when we sort of... The international break fills a gap, but you can't wait to get back into it. So, also making a very solid claim for regular first-team football is Drew. And I'm delighted to announce he joins us once more. So, Drew, it's also been two weeks since we last spoke. I hope all is well, my friend. Absolutely. I'm not a Norwich fan, but definitely charged up after seeing that miraculous game this weekend. And uh, excited to talk to you guys again. I think we all are, to be honest. It's given the Premier League that sort of boost that we all sort of need. I think we'll get into that in a little bit more detail in a bit. Before we do so, I will do the social media bits and all that. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. So anything, you know, you want to sort of put my way, questions, comments and all that, send them to either account and I'll make sure they get read and um, received and all this. You can also find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you don't like iTunes or Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud or Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. What is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter, and the prize pool once again stands at £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. The odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? I mean, really, there's only one place we can go, and that is Caro Road. Now, I guess suggesting the title race has been blown wide open is probably a step too far at this early stage. That said, I don't think anyone would have expected Saturday's outcome. 
Carl, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the injury to Eimerick Laporte was going to be one that would have a huge bearing on how City sort of play over these next, well, we sort of, whatever period he was out. The fact he was out for six months, even worse. That said, I don't think we expected an immediate collapse against Norwich, and that's given Pep Guardiola a real headache now, hasn't it? Yeah, it has, Dan. I mean, like as you say, no one predicted that. You know, I kind of thought it'd be a comfortable win for City. Um, and even when Norwich went one up, you thought, OK, that's fine. You might have just woken up the giant. Um, but City were just all over the shop at the back, weren't they? And I guess when we look at this title race this season, I guess the one area there where if you're a City fan, you'd be concerned is that if you look at Liverpool, they're kind of solid in all areas. You know, defensively, they're really good. You know, strong midfield and and brilliant forward line. I guess if you look at City now, you could say maybe the title race is tipping in Liverpool's favour more because they've got a settled, solid squad all over the pitch. Whereas at the moment, it looks like City are going to be great going forward. But when you've got to rely on people like Stones and Otamendi, then I think you are going to come unstuck some weeks because... We've seen multiple times now, not just for City, but for England, Stones has always got a mistake or a calamity in him trying to overplay and do silly things. Uh, Otamendi was just all over the shop, wasn't he, at the weekend? And I guess that is the real worry for City now. You know, is while Laporte's out for those six months, they've really got a centre-back issue there. Um, and, and they're going to have to look at how they resolve that. For me, I think he's got to start playing Fernandinho in the back alongside either Otamendi or Stones, one of them. But Fernandinho has to start for me because he may be the one player who kind of says, listen, there's a time to play and there's a time just to get rid of it. You know, yes, we want to play football, but time and place and and where you do it. Um, Obviously, he's got Walker there. You could think, could he look at what Southgate did during the World Cup and go to kind of a free centre-halves? But he's really got a headache there and, and Norwich kind of showed that you know, with Laporte out, City can be got out at the back um, and they'll overplay. And if you can get it right on the day, then that you've got a chance of beating them. But Norwich were brilliant, you know, to their credit. They, they gave everything, you know, they were on their feet at the final whistle because they'd given it their all. Um, and City just looked shell-shocked, didn't they? And, and no one expected it. Because, Drew, obviously, Carl's just sort of referenced the options that, well, I say options, the sort of make-do options that City will have over these next few months. It's quite apparent that Otamendi and Stones is not going to work each week. If you're Pep Guardiola, what are you doing? Is it Fernandinho dropping back? Is it Walker coming inside and maybe Yao Cancelo playing right back? It is going to be a case of making amending do, but this is going to be a big boost to Liverpool. So if you're sitting in Pep Guardiola's managerial chair, what's the decision for Saturday? Well, the first thing I do is take a big shot of whiskey because (laughs) there are... Just headaches along the way for Manchester City. Now, I, I do want to say this, though. I do think it was not necessarily a fluke because Stones and Otamendi were terrible. Right? Even the, before Otamendi loses the ball for that third goal, right? just seconds before that, Stones had given it away terribly to, uh, to Norwich when they were pressing. So, you know, both of them were, were awful on the day. But if you remember last year, Right, City had that bad run where they lost to, I think it was Palace and Leicester back-to-back. Yeah, that's right. And then a couple weeks le- later, they lost to Newcastle. And they still went on to win the title. So I-, I do think it's not necessarily time to panic for Pep. Now, with that being said, to answer your question, I think moving uh, Kyle Walker over is probably going to be the best option. Although I don't think that's the one that they choose. 
I have a feeling it's going to be Fernandinho moving into the uh, center back pairing. The problem, though, is I don't know how sustainable that is, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Pep kind of chopping and changing. Right? Maybe this week it's going to be Fernandinho, the next week it's going to be Kyle Walker moving over, or maybe a back three, and then how you referenced putting uh, Cancelo out wide. So I think you're going to see a lot of kind of trial and error, and probably a lot of error over the next couple of weeks. With that said, City does have a bit of an advantage or a bit of a uh, breathing room taking on Shakhtar, right? Not the toughest of opponents in Champions League. And then they have Watford, they have a League Cup game, Everton. So, you know, they do have that kind of playing in their favor a little bit. But definitely some some sleepless nights ahead for Pep. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, Carl. It's not necessarily going to be, right, Fernandinho, we can play you centre-back every week because he hasn't really got the legs either. So it might have to be a case of you weighing up your position and thinking, what's going to get us over the line this week? Yeah, that's right. As you say, you know, he does have that issue there that Fernandinho won't probably have the legs to play each week. The problem he's really got and the headache he will have now is that, you know, at the moment, the way this title race is going between the pair of them and Liverpool, you can't afford many slip-ups. Um, so you've had one. Um, you are not going to be able to get away with too many more because you can't see Liverpool slipping up that often. Because like I say, Liverpool are really strong defensively. You know, once they get Alisson back in goal, because yes, they've got a question mark over Adrian at the moment. Um, but once they get him back, they are strong defensively. So I don't really see Liverpool slipping up too often during the season. So you might get away with this one defeat. Um, I don't think you can start allowing yourself to get complacent and suddenly, you know, slip down two or three, four defeats because you will find we've got two teams at the moment where neither wants to give way and neither will lose many. Um, so it is a problem he's going to have to sort out. But yeah, we will see some chopping and changing. I guess it's just how well that kind of goes and, you know, how they can get by with those legs. But it's a real worry. and yeah, But I guess the only thing you could say in City's favour is come January, if they've still got an issue, then we know they're the sort of club that could go out and blow 80, 80 90 million on a centre-half if they really want to. I mean, they'll tell you they don't have the money, hence why they didn't get Maguire in the summer. But we all know if City really need to go and get someone to cover a, a problem, they will. Absolutely. I mean, if they're, what, four or five points behind at the turn of the year, they'll find £80 million pounds behind their sofa. There's no doubt about that. Um, they'll just rename the stadium, yeah, won't they? Exactly. Just, I mean, to get in. They'll find a way. <laughs> don't, they need. don't worry about that. <laughs> Drew, we spoke um, a few weeks back about the fact that Tottenham getting a draw away at Man City was a good result for the Premier League. I guess the win for Norwich was a great result for the Premier League. The fact that that's happened, the port's been injured, you're not wishing players being injured, but it has created this real new sort of drama in the Premier League. You know, we've got a new sort of chapter for this season. So it shows that City are human, beatable, and now it's sort of game on for Liverpool, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think for Liverpool, this was huge for them because, right, last year they had a similar size lead in January. I think it was seven points. They ended up not winning the title, right? They kind of blew it. Um, so I think this was big for them and saying, like, guys, we have a cushion. We can't afford to do the same thing as last year. And so I think, if anything, Jurgen Klopp is probably going to be even more serious this time around. Because, yes, Manchester City are human, like you said, but I think this probably you know gives City a kick up the backside. Defensive issues or not, I think they're going to come out firing and it 
it, it wouldn't surprise me if they don't lose another game for like two or three months. Uh, you know, kind of outscoring teams. And so with Liverpool knowing that, I think Jurgen Klopp really has to make sure his team is focused and they're not going to let it slip away another time. Of course, Carl. We can't really write off City in terms of winning the title. It is so sort of far to go. There's only five points off the pace. Somewhat surprisingly, the bookmakers still have them as favourites. So why do you think there's not been that switch in the market just yet? Because when I looked at it earlier, it was City being 4-6 to six on, Liverpool being 6-4. to four. So not a great bit of difference, but you would have thought at some point that that is going to tilt in Liverpool's favour. How come it hasn't just yet? Yeah. Yeah, I still say it's because it's so early, you know, and as we say, one defeat's not going to define a season, we know that, you know, Liverpool at some point will have a little slip and they will have a game or a couple of game run where they maybe draw one and lose one, so let's face it, this is not the end of the world defeat for Man City, I think the problem we've got here is, is that people can see a crack that could possibly open up and be a real season-defining one for them. Whereas when you look at the Liverpool squad, they're kind of solid. But it only takes Liverpool to get a couple of injuries, doesn't it? You know, Salah goes down or Van Dijk gets an injury. And then tables can turn like that, you know. I still think City have a brilliant squad in terms of attacking-wise. And as Drew said, the one thing City will know is that they can they can outscore anyone on their day if they need to. So they might concede three, but they could probably score five on a day, you know. And that will be something that possibly I think they have a little bit more firepower across their whole squad than Liverpool. Um, so that's why I think probably the bookies are still not panicking just yet. Um, but if City was to go on a little run there of, say, you know, not picking up a win in their next two games, and Liverpool do, then you might see the tables turn. But obviously, it is too early to panic. There will be bumps in the road for Liverpool. But you have got two teams that you can't see them dropping many points um, across the course of the season. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. I don't think Pep will probably be panicking, you know, the way the media are panicking right now. He'll probably be very calm. But I think they'll know there's something there they really need to sort out. And Drew, of course, it would be unfair just to highlight on Man City's bad defence. Of course, Norwich still had to do a job and they did it very, very well. Part of that job was down to Timu Puki. He won the Player of the Month in August. If he plays like that in the next two weeks, he'll have a great shot at winning September's award. So just how integral is the flying fin going to be in terms of Norwich's survival hopes this season? Absolutely, hugely, massively vital. Because for Norwich, of course... You know, draws are fine, but they have to win as well. And how do you win? You have to score goals. He showed it last year in the championship, scoring a ton of them. And so far, he's off to a brilliant start. If he continues this, then they have a good shot of not surviving, I guess is probably the best way to say it. Um, But if he went down with an injury or if he found a a bad run of form, then I think Norwich are, are in trouble. I mean, Pookie was absolutely phenomenal last year and he's carried it over to this season i mean honestly i would i would not be surprised if he got a statue outside of carroll road (laughs) i mean i mean really he's like he's been that transformative for you know on the pitch off the pitch the fans like everything he is is a cult hero i think in 20 years or maybe sooner that in 10 years in school in Norwich, teachers are going to have lots of kids named Timu. Oh yes, I want to see. <laughs> That's a great theory. <laughs> well, well, we'll have to find out in ten years' time. But Joe, if you are right, then give yourself a pat on the back. Right, okay. That defeat, of course, meant that 
Liverpool now five points clear, as we referenced. They were five points clear at the start of the day, and everyone would assume that come the end of it, City would have eroded that gap back to two. It didn't happen. Cole, there was somewhat of an initial scare at Anfield, but it's fair to say that Liverpool's quality shone through in the end. Yeah, I think um, Newcastle kind of couldn't do what Norwich did. You know, they actually did wake up the beast, didn't they? Um, and they got an early goal and you kind of, you know, thought, oh, here we go. This could be interesting. But it was pretty quickly eroded away and Liverpool just turned on the style. Newcastle were quite sloppy at times, giving the ball away. Um, and it just, you know, Liverpool got going. And then once they did, you know, it, it, by the end of the game, they could have had sort of four or five and the scoreline could have been a lot worse for Newcastle. I think Newcastle would come away from that game probably actually going, all right, 3-1 wasn't as bad as it probably could be. Um, but yeah, Liverpool won't struggle against the sides like that, I don't think, especially at Anfield. Um, and their, some of their forward play was just a joy to watch. I mean, when when you're looking at the sort of stuff Firmino's doing this season, that is just mouth-watering stuff and stuff that you'd pay the entrance fee alone to go and watch, you know, because that front three are just lethal. Um, and obviously, it was quite good. You know, Mane got his two goals this week. So after last week, you know, and the incident at Burnley, that's him a little bit happier. Um, so that that is just a good camp um, and, and they are firing and that, that's what they're going to do that to a lot of teams this season and, and when they that front three are playing like that I don't see many defences being able to hold them Yep, of course it seems that all is well in terms of Liverpool's attackers Drew, would you say that arguably the turning point was the enforced introduction of Firmino because 35 minutes or so Newcastle still have the advances Although Divock Origi can offer you sort of strength and his own attacking threat, it's not really that sort of better utilised that wide. Ultimately, Firmino's directness is always much more effective, and that showed as soon as he was as soon as he was on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we talked on the show recently. Firmino for that front three is kind of the straw that stirs the drink. The, you know, the craziest part though is that his performances, his impact, doesn't get reflected in the stat sheet. Because he doesn't score as many goals, he doesn't get as many assists, but he's so instrumental in the build-up play. What I think makes him so important for Liverpool is if you look at their midfield, they don't really have ball-playing midfielders. They don't really have attack-minded guys who can really link up with the forwards. Well, who does that instead? It's Firmino. And so when he's not in there, when you have Divac Origi or if you put on Shakiri or, or you know whoever it is, you lose that connection between the attack and the midfield. And so I think that's why he's so instrumental. And then, yeah, when he came on, it absolutely changed the game for Liverpool. And that's when their attack went crazy. And then, of course, you see the brilliant footwork on the assist, on the give-and-go between uh, Salah, Firmino, back to Salah. It was beautiful. And um, uh, any time this happens, right, not just against Newcastle, but in other games you see this, when Firmino is not on the pitch, Liverpool are a completely different side. When he is there or when he comes on as a sub, he is an absolute game-changer for them. Yeah, that was certainly evident on Saturday. Cole, one player that sort of caught my eye at the weekend was Andrew Robertson. And it's more about the disparity, or there's almost two Robertsons that are in effect in this world at the moment. There's one who's incredible for Liverpool, there's one who is not so incredible for Scotland. Now, what do you put that down to? Because it's not just... You can't just say, oh, it's, I'm working with good players at Liverpool so they make me better. But how can someone be so transformative from club football to the international scene? 
Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting interesting question, isn't it? Because I think we saw that the other night, even for England, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold wasn't great in the Kosovo game for England. Yeah, and good point. you are kind of looking, thinking, this doesn't seem like the guy who's putting on a Liverpool shirt um, and, and roaming forward, great getting back, uh, whipping in brilliant crosses. Um, so it, it's a real interesting question as to why they're not doing it so much for their, for their possibly national teams. I guess the only thing you say is different styles of play. You know, are they being asked to do a different job than what Klopp is asking them to do? You know, I think there, there might be an element of possibly players you've got around you because obviously, you know, at Liverpool, they know they're going to get found if they make a run. Whereas obviously in, in for the Scotland side, not having that quality may, you know, may think, well, actually, I won't make that run because I doubt I'll get the ball there. Uh, or when you do make a run and it obviously gets lost, you're out of position um, and you're kind of thinking, oh, you know, in, for club, for my club side, that ball finds me and we're in. Um, but it's a real interesting question. You know, may, maybe there is that kind of, uh, you know, not, maybe they don't get such a buzz for playing for the national side as they do for their club side. I don't think there's any some a real answer you can put your finger on there. To be honest, that you kind of go, well, this is well, this will be the one real reason. I can only assume it's you know a escalation of all those little factors. You know, not your club side, not your club manager. You're being asked to do slightly different things. You maybe don't have the talent, but again. You could only really say that for Robinson, you know, for Trent Alexander-Arnold, you would say he's probably or should have just as good a players around him in an England side. So why doesn't he kind of seem the same player there? Um, I don't think there's anything you can really put your finger on that, Dan, to be honest, as one thing. Um, it just does seem really strange, doesn't it? As you say, you don't get the same player and he doesn't deliver the same things as he does for his national side. Yeah. I think we had that for years, though, going back, didn't we? Skulls, Lampard, yeah. Gerrards, you know, we've had all these generations where you put them in a club shirt and they're sticking the ball in the top corner, whereas all of a sudden they've got an England shirt on and from 12 yards they can't hit the target. Yeah, very good points, actually, Carl. I think you're fairly saying it's not one exact reason, but there are sort of little bits that add into sort of um, other reasons. I think almost pressure as well from sort of when you've got your club, sort of your fans behind you, and you've got you know the nation's shoulders on you. It's almost a bit more difficult. But anyway, let's move on. Staying with actual Liverpool defenders, Drew, and sort of them in general, they've only kept one league clean sheet this season. So how much of a concern is that for you? Because they do look a team that can be got at. You know, it was a great goal that Newcastle scored at the weekend. But the fact they are only keeping one clean sheet thus far, does that perhaps tie into the fact that they're not made as league favourites at this point? Yeah, definitely. That's part of it. Plus, Allison is not there. So I, I think both of those factors definitely play into. I mean, even here in the States, on the sports books, Manchester City are still in the fa- are, are still the favourites. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. At the, or, the last time I checked was last night. So as of... 12 hours ago, they were. I guess it could have changed this morning. But, yeah, I'm not so concerned that they're not keeping as many clean sheets because I think simply their defense isn't quite as good as last year just because last year I think they played above their heads. And I don't think a lack of clean sheets are going to make them drop that many points only because when they play teams like Newcastle, when they play – you know, Sheffield United, they're going to be able to outscore them and, and earn all three points. Now, of course, it could come, come back to bite them if they play, you know, Leicester and, and give up a couple goals or something like that. But I think they'll be all right with especially how good the front three are playing. 
uh, especially Firmino, as we just talked about a couple of minutes ago, I think Liverpool will be okay not having as many clean sheets uh, as last season. Okay, let's move on to some London-based clubs now, and let's start with Arsenal and the fact they let a two-goal lead slip at Vicarage Road on Sunday. Once again, Cole, it seems to be the same old, same old with the Gunners and their kamikaze defending, which we mentioned here before, <laughs> rearing its ugly head once again. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's almost like a rinse and repeat with it Arsenal, is. isn't really it, is. when you talk about them each week, you know. Yeah, we, could, we, could, just take, we could just take your questions and answers from last week and just slip it back in this one, couldn't we? Like, really? Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, to be honest, Dan, and I think you could probably go back two seasons. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and you, you'd be doing the same stuff because, like as you say, it, it's, it's just unbelievable that you've got a team that have got so many cameras McCarthy defenders in it that just seem to lose their heads when it's like, okay, just stand up, shadow this guy. No, I'll just go diving in two footed and or, or I'll, I'll just jump in and let him go round me easily. I mean, I can't understand how they haven't resolved this issue. Uh, I know at certain points, you know, we, you know, you could have looked at certain times before, or maybe David Louise for that money is a good signing. But you've just taken out one calamity to put in an even bigger one, um, and it's just going to be the same old for Arsenal, I think, while they're playing like this. You know, until they resolve this defensive side of their game, they are going to come unstuck. It's something that's going to cost them games week in, week out. Um, and, and at the end of the season, that could have big consequences because it may have them missing out on the top four. I mean, at the moment, they are top of the table in terms of defensive errors. Um, and you're not surprised because you're looking at the players they've got and they just lose their heads at the wrong time. I mean, David Louise, you know, the guy can't... If you get him one-on-one, you, you know, you know he's going to do something stupid. And every team must just look, just isolate him. Just get a, you know, just if you get if you get a one on one with David Louise, don't do anything silly because he'll do it for you. You know, just be patient and wait for the mistake to come, and it will. You know, their football around the edge of their box is just suicidal at the weekend. You know, you're two up, just see the game out, and you know, and you've got a great three points because you know Watford have got their new manager bounce, so you know that you come away from there winning two nil. You say job done, you know, and that was that could have been tricky. But, you know, I'm afraid it, Arsenal are just going to come unstuck because at the moment their, their defence is just a horror show. And Drew, I guess when you look at that game, a huge amount of credit has to go to Watford at the same time because 2-0 down, it would have been very easy for the heads to drop, especially with the start they've had to this season. Their persistence certainly paid off though, didn't it? It finally paid dividends at the end. And had it not been for Bert Leno at the very end, Watford would have snatched a late win. Yeah, I don't know what Kike Sanchez-Flores said at halftime, but... Man, that must have came from God himself because <laughs> he turned that team around miraculously. I mean, he I mean, talk about a game of two halves. Watford and especially it started with that first goal where uh Leno gave it away. And you can argue maybe De La Feu was inside the box or not, but regardless, that was terrible on Arsenal's part to even give that away whether he was a few millimeters inside the box or not. Um but yeah, credit to Watford for like you said not just kicking themselves and being like, oh, well, I guess we lost another one already, and having that heart and that fight and that desire to come back. I think if they're playing on the road, that probably doesn't happen. But playing at home, you know, you have the crowd, you have your fans to help you out with that. Um, But yeah, credit to Watford for being able to come back because even though it wasn't a win, I think it probably felt like one. And like you said, right at the end, uh, when, when they had that last 
break in stoppage time, Leno made that diving save, and without that, Watford steals all three points. So I think they should feel good about themselves having kind of that new manager bounce in there uh, to help them get going. And even though you didn't ask me this, I want to I want to say something about David Luiz. Yeah, sure. I think he's he is Chelsea's best defender this year. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I I think he's showing how much he really cares about Chelsea and that he really feels the club. He loves the Chelsea badge, and I think all of his decisions at Arsenal this year are because he prefers to play at Chelsea. So, shouts to to David Luiz, really coming through for the Blues on the back line this year. Agent Luiz doing an Agent, agent, agent yeah. Luiz. There you go. There we go, Carl. Excellent. Um, Carl, but staying with uh, Watford, obviously the old Watford manager is now the new Watford manager. And although that extra lift was in effect on Sunday, the work does start now for Kike Sanchez-Flores. What did you make of the appointment? Because it's fair to say it caught a lot of people by surprise. Yeah, it did, definitely. I think the only thing you could say is that uh, um, he was well-liked at the club, wasn't he? So I think, you know, from what you hear, he, he was well-liked when he was there as manager the first time round. Um, and obviously the slight drop-off caused them to kind of make a change. Um, and obviously they've seen this time, you know, uh, yeah, as much as I know we all think it's a little bit harsh on the previous Watford manager, I think when you look back at the end of their season last season, they had a real poor run of form. Um, then you have that mauling in the FA Cup final and you suddenly see, you know, a few games into the season, you're not seeing what you want to. And maybe, you know, as much as sometimes we think it's harsh, I think, you know, you could possibly say it's good management when you see something's gone or possibly there's a real decline and a real issue. You need to make a change early. Um, and it might be this change that kind of just makes sure Watford don't have one of those seasons where they're, you know, tinkering around the relegation zone and in that battle to actually getting, you know, getting themselves solid, you know, comfortable mid-table. And then again, they look to build after that. Um, they're in a real difficult place, Watford, aren't they? Because, you know, they, this keep chopping and changing managers. It's kind of working for them, but they're not really getting any progression. They're a club that kind of, you know, it, it's questionable as to what is their long-term goal? Um, what, what do they see themselves doing? They probably say realistically they just want to be in the top 10 each year in the Premier League and try to improve slightly. That I don't think they're ever going to really you know, threaten the top six right now. Um, and maybe they just think, well, you know, this guy was liked. Um, we bring him back in. He knows the club. He knows some of the players. He can get, you know, a good feeling going again. And we see where he takes him. You know, he may not He may not be there next season. You know, for all we know, he's just coming in to do a job this season. And then they'll move on again. Because Watford do seem to do things slightly differently to most clubs at the moment, don't they? You know, they do seem one of these clubs that are not scared to change the manager when they feel it's not going the right way. Um, they might say it's worked for them so far, but I don't think it's a sustainable um, project over the course of the long run. You know, at some point they will need some stability there and a long-term plan. But, you know, we'd have to see, don't we? As you say, the work starts now because, yes, you've got that initial bounce and that great result, but we need to now see how they progress over the course of the next couple of games because it could just take one defeat again to kind of set the rot in. And I don't think they've really recovered from that FA Cup final still, have they? 
No, they haven't, and they've got Man City up next at the Etihad, so it could be a repeat of it if they're not careful, especially if City have got a point to prove after Saturday. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Drew, much has been made of Arsenal's much maligned defence, even in this show, but the absence of Alexander Lacassette will be hard felt by Unai Emery. I guess now is when Nicola Pepe needs to really start paying off some of that hefty price tag. Yeah, because for as much as he costs being a record signing and he still hasn't really caught fire, no, I think it's going to start to anger quite a lot of fans i mean arsenal fans are usually pretty upset i mean i think arsenal fan tv on youtube is the funniest youtube channel but i think it's it's, it's comedy isn't it really yeah much to their chagrin yep (laughs) um but yeah i think he's got to catch fire soon otherwise i wouldn't be surprised if he starts to hear some booze raining out of the emirates because he has not it's not only that he hasn't scored like, he hasn't looked great. He's had a few flashes and a few moments here and there, maybe dribbling past a defender one time, but he hasn't really put in a full, solid, effective 90 minutes yet. And with the money that they paid for him and being a record signing, you expect him to hit the ground running pretty well. Now, I kind of wonder, did they just overpay? Because, I mean, you know, teams miss sometimes on transfers. Or was the step up to the Premier League from France that vast of a difference and he hasn't coped with it yet in the in the long run I do think he'll be all right I don't think he's really going to battle for the golden boot or anything like that Um, but I I think he will come good or at least much better than he has been so far okay after the break we're going to come back to North London and we're going to talk all things Tottenham so don't go anywhere and we'll be back very very shortly Your accumulator letting you down again. You've cashed out early. And you just can't win. Prehistoric football coupons? Nah. Have a think about it. Why not play a new way? At Loserpool. Pick a loser and win a thousand pounds in a last man standing tournament. Be a loser and win. At Loserpool. Enter for free now. Visit loserpool.com. Okay, I hope you're still there. Let's go to North London then. And Carl, you had the pleasure of going to Tottenham versus Crystal Palace on my behalf on Saturday. Let's call it a reward for podcast long service. I obviously picked the game not to go to incorrectly because I was at Hearts versus Motherwell in Scotland, which was an experience, let's put it that way. So, match today can only tell a small story. One which, in fairness, seemed only really 45 minutes in length. So, for you, Carl, how were Spurs in your eyes on Saturday? Yeah, first of all, Dan, I'll say thanks. And I must say, you must have fires the size of tree trunks. Because to <laughs> uh, get yeah. to your seat, I had to go up so many stairs <laughs> to get to your seat. You know, it's a long way up. But... You must have fires like Popeye. Um, but no, it, it was, um, as you say, it was a game of two halves, but in either half, Palace were absolutely abysmal. Um, and once the damage was done in that first half, the second half just kind of became a sort of training game where, you know, it, you knew that they weren't going to really threaten us. We'd kind of done our job. So it's just like, well, if we get a chance, you know, if we can create something great, if not, we'll just keep the ball and kind of see the game out. Um, but in the first half, you know, we, we were really good. You know, we kind of put them to the sword um i think there was some very you know 
bad defending on their part. I mean, Palace have got one centre half. Um, I couldn't, I, I didn't actually get the name, but he was wearing the number 12 and he actually looked like a Sunday morning footballer, you know, the way he was trying to pass the ball and the t- decisions he was making. Um, and it was all too easy. Um, we kind of had one ploy with them, which was, you know, we kept giving the ball to Toby Adeverald, who, with his passing, I have to say, was immaculate this weekend. He actually, it was kind of like watching a quarterback in American football, the way, you know, he got the ball. He was spotting the guys in space and just pinging it straight down their throat. South, you know, Palace were getting caught out all over the place. Um, and some good finishes. Son was electric. Um, he is such a deadly player. When he's on that kind of form, I don't think there's many sides that can stop him. Um, and every time he got the ball, he came alive and you could see that he was going to create a problem. Um, but then it, it was job done. You know, second half, the game died as, as a lot of those games do. You know, when one team is so far in control, they don't come out to try to break their neck to get, you know, eight or nine. It's just, let's see this out. Nothing stupid. Champions League in midweek. Um, and a, just a real comfortable victory. Um, and the worry is, if that's a side that went to Man United and caused them so many problems, I, I don't understand how they managed to get that win because they were just atrocious. Drew, the fact the European transfer window is now slammed shut until January, that's going to install some much-needed stability within the Tottenham camp. Yes, there may be contract rebels at this point, but you get the feeling that at least everyone's on the same page until the end of the year. Yeah, definitely. And I think this win will go a long way for Tottenham's confidence, right? Because before the international break, they weren't great or anything like that. Um, But I think also something that really helped them was, and I know people always think I'm crazy when I say this, but I think Son is the most important player for Spurs. More than Kane, more than Erickson, more than Lucas Mora, wh- whoever you want to say. right? Because last year, when Kane went down with injuries, who was the guy that stepped up and kind of helped them keep winning games? It was Son. And that was after missing you know, two months to go to two different international tournaments. Um, and so him getting two goals in this game and two early goals, I think is really what kicked on Spurs. Um, so... You're right, the the window is closed and that's going to help. But I think having Son get into the game, get into the game early and make things happen was was really the biggest X factor. And, I mean, yeah, you, you have like player unrest and everything because they might go, they might not, they want more contracts and all of that. But like you said, that comes up quickly in January again and they still want new contracts now like they did two weeks ago. So... I don't think the window closing has that much of an effect. I think that's more kind of like the excuse that's provided, more of uh, people trying to find a reason uh, that they struggle to to open up the season. But also, I mean, in this game, Harry Kane, he didn't score, but he had one assist, and I thought he played better in this game than he has in other ones. So I think those are kind of the, the factors that, that mattered more. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point you make, Drew. Cole, obviously, Sun gets a brace. For you now... Is it abundantly clear that you can't play Son, Kane and Lucas all together at the same time? I think for me, it's Son and Kane with Lucas needed off the bench, you know, as an impact sub, should he be required. But I think when you play all three of them, it gets lost in the sort of shuffle somewhat. So what is your sort of optimum attack setup going forward? Yeah, I think we've said before, Dan, haven't we, on our eSpurs podcast, that when you have Mora and Kane in the same side, they kind of get in each other's way because both want to try and do similar sort of things. Uh, Mora likes to drop and get the ball into his feet and turn, and Kane likes to do the same. 
then you end up almost with no one up front, really, as, as someone you can hit. And as you say, we, we are better once you've got Son and Kane in the side. Because Son, is, you know, Drew's quite right. Son is, Son is lethal. Um, and one of the best players in the Premier League at the moment, you know, and I've no doubt he'll be getting admiring glances from bigger sides going forward if he carries on like this, because when he gets the ball, his pace and his dribbling and the trickery that he brings, actually, you can see defenders are scared because they don't know, oh, do I go in tight on this guy or do I drop back? But if I drop back, his pace will beat me. If I get too close, he's got a turn and a trick. Um, and when you've got Kane who can then hold it up and play it off from there and feed off of that, we're, we're much better that way. I think Mora and Kane, they seem to, they, I say, they just get in each other's way because I think they're very similar. Mora's been great off the bench. You have to feel for the guy. You know, when he's, you know, when he's come on and had that impact, people you do rightly question and say well, why is Mora not starting this just seems crazy but it doesn't seem as fluid when he does play um, and also I will say when Mora does get a full start he actually doesn't have the same impact as when he comes off the bench you know the real only real game where Mora started and had that massive impact was the Ajax game away in the Champions League you know we've seen him start many a games where he has little spells but then he drifts in and out of the game and he is much better as an impact player um, and, I, and unfortunately for him I think that's how it'll be used this year you know while you've got Son and Kane fit I think you'll see them starting Poch likes Lamella um, because he likes his work rate and his intensity so I don't see Lamella getting moved at the moment um, which then means, you know, when is Ali going to come back in? Because he was on the bench Saturday, but then you've got Ali to come back in, Ericsson in the middle, that now, you know, you may think, you know, is he going to stay because the interest hasn't been shown? So there's some real headaches there for Poch in the attacking department, um, which I'm sure each manager would say, well, I'd love to have. But on that question, yeah, for me, it has to be Son and Kane all the time. And Drew, Tottenham recorded their first league clean sheet of the season, something that will, will be welcomed by Pochettino. And after a solid showing by Serge Aurier, you get the feeling it's down to him to make that right-back spot well and truly his own. Yeah, because you know Juan Foyth went down, Kyle Walker-Peters went down, and then sticking Davinson Sanchez there didn't work uh, before the international break. So yeah, Serge Aurier has kind of turned into a last resort, but... It worked out, and so I think you're right. He's going to make that spot his own. Now, the one thing is, with Champions League and uh, domestic competitions as well, you might see a little bit of rotation in there, and maybe Poch goes back to uh, Sanchez back there or, or something like that. Um, so I, th I think you will see some chopping and changing as kind of an experiment to see, was this a one-off because Palace weren't very good on the day? Or was Aurier kind of the answer to their right-back problems? And is he going to make it his own? I think he probably will, almost by default, as if he's kind of the least bad option to throw out there right now. One thing I'm surprised Poch hasn't done yet is put uh, Vertonghen out there, right? Because last year, a couple times he played, well, this was on, on the left side as a left-back, but he actually played really, really well. So I was almost wondering if we would see Vertonghen go out there. I think now that's a moot point, and it's definitely not going to happen. Interesting. I think out the, if you were going to put a Belgian centre-back at right-back, it would probably be Alderweireld, to be honest, just because it would be more comfortable. And he has played there 
much earlier in his career, but I think you're right. I, I think as well there, Dan, isn't it? Vertonghen is very left-sided. Yes, that's as, right. In terms of, he's, you know, he's a very left-footed player. Um, he doesn't seem to be able to switch to his right that often. You know, you, you will see when we look for those passes, Vertonghen is just looking to give the ball to Adeviro to make the long pass because, it, you know, the minute it goes on his right side, he isn't comfortable at all. I literally think Poch is going to wait for Foyf to come back. Um, and, and once Foyf does, then he'll try his little experiment with him there. Um, Aurier, I think the question marks are still there around his defensive capabilities. Because, yes, he's got the attributes going forward. We didn't, he wasn't tested at all against Palace on the weekend. And I think there's still that question mark that when we play a decent side, who can attack him then he's questioning around when he jumps into tackles and how you know what kind of defending he does will cause him the problem. Um, but I think it'll be a chop and change between him and Foyth when Foyth's back. Yeah, I think that's a good shout as well. Next up, let's go to Chelsea. And they absolutely breeze past Wolves on Saturday. Cole, Tavi Abraham has gone from boy to man in the space of three matches. The past couple of games have showed that he can score. However, Saturday showed the range of finishes that he now has in his locker. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, I guess well, you were talking about Pepe earlier, and I think one of the key things, and we've seen it down with some of our signings, you've got to get off the mark really quickly. Once you get off the mark, the confidence that it just brings to your game just takes you to another level. Um, Tammy, there was question marks in the first couple of games. He was unlucky at United, wasn't he? He had a brilliant shot that struck the post. Um, and it just goes to show that once you get that first goal, the confidence it can breed in you, um, and then you can just build from there. And that, like, say, like with Pepe, I think, you know, the longer he goes without getting a goal or some good assists, that really starts nagging on you and the price tag. We've seen it with Saldado and Janssen. You know, if you don't start scoring or you don't start performing, the question marks and the doubt has come in and the confidence drops. But right now, Tammy Abraham's confidence is up there. And that third goal, unbelievable. What a finish that was. Brilliant from him. And good news for England. Yes, that's right. And Drew, it's got to be a lot better of a showing in your eyes. What did you make of Chelsea's switch for a three? It seemed like Lampard wanted to match Wolves like for like and a decision that certainly paid off. More importantly, would you be keen to see the setup continue against Liverpool on Sunday? Yeah, I, I was surprised by it. I definitely did not expect that to uh, to happen. But the thing that I thought actually worked was Rudiger came back. He, he came off at the half in what Lampard said was a precautionary substitution. But I think Rudiger being back there helped a lot. I think Kurt Zuma not playing until the second half helped a lot as well. Um, and then also I think something that was great was Marcus Alonso didn't really have to worry about defending too much because last year in a back four, he was awful. Could not keep up with anyone for 90 minutes. But a few years ago under Antonio Conte, he was great as a wing back, And so I think Lampard took advantage of that. And so I think that was... Uh, uh, very effective in the game against Liverpool. I don't know how well that's going to work, though. With you know, we talked about Alexander Arnold and Robertson and and how much they bomb forward. So I, I'm not sure if Lampard sticks with that. But I do like the the flexibility that he showed by uh, su uh, switching the formation. And maybe it was like you said to kind of match Wolves man for man, uh, or if it was more just kind of himself saying. You know, what we've been doing hasn't really worked because also Chelsea did not press as much in this game as they have in the uh, first few 
matches of, of the year. So I think that helped keep guys fresh as well come the second half. So I think there were a lot of changes in this game that really helped Chelsea uh, defensively with, with a positive effect. Cole, Wolves, I guess we can officially say, are suffering symptoms of second season syndrome. Now, there's still a lot of talent and, more importantly, a lot of time to turn things around. So it's not crisis mode just yet. However, a rough start to proceedings, not to mention conceding eight goals in the last two league matches. Yeah, it's the Europa League syndrome, it isn't is, it, Dan? Is. You know, we saw that last year with Burnley. You know, great season in the Premier League. Get that Europa League. You kind of think it's something that can help you and, and you're, you're building as a club. And actually, it just has that detrimental effect where, you know, what is it players are tired after their midweek antics? Um, you don't get that kind of consistency in your schedule anymore that was kind of helping you the first time round. Um, and it's really hard to pinpoint what actually is happening. But it does seem that those sides like Wolves, who, let's face it, unlike the top six, probably don't have the resources in terms of squad depth to cope, where you can put in almost a second string that's that's you know not as good as your first side, but good enough to get you through that Europa League group stage. And Wolves have got to play their real strong first 11. And I think you either have to make a call either way which you're going to go, don't you? You either have to say, we're going to give this a real go but we may end up it may end up costing us you know some form in the Premier League or we're going to give it a go but we're going to field our second side almost and if we get knocked out we get knocked out but the Premier League's the priority um, and I just think Wolves are struggling with those demands of that Thursday Sunday um, it, it's a real pain um, I don't know what you know as you say you can't pinpoint why they've had such a you know poor start but there is plenty of time there's a lot of talent in that squad. So you would think that hopefully once they can get themselves settled and, you know, get this Europa League underway, then, you know, they might start bringing that form back into the Premier League. But I think there, you know, there won't be, you know, alarm bells ringing, but I think, you know, there'll be a distant little, uh, OK, we need to just be careful here and we need to make sure we don't let this slump really cut cost us but I'd like to think they've got the squad that can see them comfortable mid-table and a decent Europa League run and then again they can build from there next summer Also Drew, all 11 goals for Chelsea have come from academy players that's got to be pleasing to see from a sort of fan point of view also I guess the decision to play the likes of Abraham Mount for Maury are now being justified if this continues, that sort of argument of oh, well, they're only playing because the transfer ban has made them the sort of first choice that's going to be, you know, almost a moot point because soon, if these performances continue, they'll be picked on purely merit alone. Yeah, absolutely. At uh, at the beginning of the year, you would definitely say, well, transfer ban, they got to play somebody. Each and every one of them has 100% earned their starting spot. Tammy Abraham scoring goals. And, you know, one of the knocks on him so far has been he only scored against promoted teams. Uh, and then you could say against Wolves, obviously not. It was, they weren't a promoted team, but with how bad they are this year, maybe their defense looks like a promoted side. Uh, but regardless, he's scoring, and he deserves to be in there. And Mason Mount, the same thing. He scored again in this game, and then uh, before the international break as well. They have absolutely earned their spots. You know, Tamori, I think, kind of came in more because the defense hasn't played as well, but he's shown well, and, and obviously he had his goal. Uh, in this game, which was a screamer. But I think defensively, he put in good shift this time and then against whoever he played. I think it was against Sheffield United a couple weeks ago when he played as well. So he should continue to play as well. Yeah, all these academy guys, 
have shown very, very well and deserve to continue being in the 11, right? And then when Ruben Loftus-Cheek comes back, he definitely should be on the cusp of starting and earn his spot. Calum Hudson-Odoi just played with the U23s, so he's coming back from injury and he's in training already. So for Chelsea, I think this is huge that their academy players are making this big of an impact because right after selling Eden Hazard, everyone in the world knows they have £100 million minimum to spend, whether that comes January if the ban gets lifted or next season. But they also now, it seems, although it's early, they could find themselves in a pretty good bargaining position with clubs if they want to buy and say, well, we don't really need to get anyone. Look at how well our young players have done, and we can have them for the next four, five, eight years, so we really don't have to overpay for players. So this is looking good, I think, for Chelsea in a lot of different areas. Okay, we've got about 10 minutes to go, and there's still five more matches to run through. So can I trust you chaps to give me some more express answers? Not that your answers haven't been great, we just need to hit the deadline. So I'll give you a game each, and then if you just give me a bit more of a punch, you want, I literally just start one question per game. So, Carl, first up, you get Man United versus Leicester. United, they got a first win since the opening weekend, and a bit more luck from the penalty spot, shall we say. Now, I know the table means very little right now, but the Red Devils will be happy with their fourth place standing, won't they? Yeah, you know that was that was looking a tricky game because you know I think Leicester are a really good side, but I, I don't think Leicester went with the confidence they could have done, and for some reason they didn't seem to really go at it or believe in themselves. And obviously, you know United will take that as a really good win, uh, and you know they will look at as you say the league table right now and say that's a good start under Ollie because there's still some work to do there. But you know they'll be happy with that start. But if you were Leicester, I think you'd be disappointed that you kind of went there and, and kind of looked a little bit timid um, and given the players they've got in the early form that they, they should have felt that they could go there and get the result. OK, next up Bournemouth versus Everton. Drew, a good win for Bournemouth. All of their five games have ended in both teams to score outcomes. So good from an attacking point of view, a little bit interesting from a defence point of view. Maybe gives Eddie Howe a bit of a headache. However, just as they blow hot and cold, you could say the same for Everton. So I guess that game has always been a going to be a case of just who the better team on the day was and they would then go on and get the win yeah for Bournemouth I think this was great because Ryan Fraser who had a fantastic year last year finally got his first goal of the season Callum Wilson who was slightly overshadowed by Harry Wilson so far got two goals so I think this was great for Bournemouth and especially a first uh, home win of the season for Everton man they should be so much better than they have been and I think Marco Silva is already on the hot seat once again like he was last year okay next up Sheffield United versus Southampton Cole the Saints are now unbeaten in three they had a bit of fortune when Ollie McBurney's goal for the Blades was ruled out however there was no doubting the fortune of the match-winning goal was there Ah, uh, brilliant finish, wasn't it? You know, the fact that the guy was almost had a player wrestling him on his back and he manages to get away from him um, and then the rest of the skill to get in there and finish off was a brilliant goal. Um, and I think he's going to cause a lot of teams problems. You know, he looks really exciting for Southampton. Um, you'd also say that Southampton got lucky because I think right near the end, you know, VAR's looking at these handballs against the defenders as well. And I think Sheffield United get a penalty right at the death. Um, but yeah, Southampton will be really pleased with that result. Um, and, and, you know, the, the season's looking like they may not be in that relegation struggle that I kind of thought they would be. Yeah, things have certainly looked a little bit better over the past few weeks. Brighton versus Burnley. 
Drew, Sean Dyche has been snatched a point right at the death. Graham Potter still searching for a first win since the opening weekend. They look slightly better under Chris Hewton, especially when you, when you compare them to the end of last campaign. However, this isn't going to be an easy stretch for Brighton, is it? No, absolutely not. Brighton is going to continue to struggle. And I think the opening win of the year was a little bit of a uh, kind of a joke they played on their fans and everyone else. And yeah, they're definitely going to be battling relegation this year. And yeah, I think last year when Chris Hutton got sacked, especially right at right after the season ended, I thought was a little bit, maybe not a stab in the back, but with how well he had done at the club over the, the previous seasons, I thought was kind of terrible for, for Brighton. And I think, you know, they, they made their bed. Now they got to lay in it. Absolutely. And finally, I'll take Aston Villa versus West Ham because it was a complete ball draw. I think the most interesting bit was when two players from a Villa team spread up to each other and it had to be referred to VAR. I mean, good to see VAR getting its, uh, its use there, but a bit strange. I think that sort of sums up the game. Wait, really. wait, if, if I could real quick, yeah, yeah, what I thought sure. was hilarious was the referee was even yelling at them, you're on the same team. That's right, yes. That like, was... <laughs> he wanted to yellow card them, but he couldn't. Yeah, I mean, that just sort of sums up the... Uh, the, I guess the uh, performance of both teams. I mean, pr- probably a better point, West Ham, considering they went down to 10 men. But actually, West Ham have been pretty decent since their um, opening day thrashing to Man City. So I guess, yeah, better point for them. And they have Man United on Saturday. So they'll be confident of getting something out of that. And that wraps up everything for this show. So, yeah, we just got in before the, uh, the deadline of 60 minutes. So well done, chaps. First up, Carl, I need to thank you for your efforts this afternoon. An absolute pleasure. And I hope you'll be joining me sometime soon. No worries, Dan. Really enjoyed that, mate. Cheers, buddy. And Drew, of course, always a pleasure. I hope you'll be joining me and Cole with your thoughts at some juncture. Yeah, I would love to come back on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And then, of course, talking with Carl and, and you, Dan, is, is always fun. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed it. Not a problem, mate. We look forward to doing it again soon. So, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time... Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.